Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, December 11th, we are studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. St. Paul moves to a key topic of doctrinal instruction in order to bring comfort to the Thessalonian Christians. Is there hope for those who die before the return of Christ? What does it mean to grieve with hope in the face of death before the last day? Paul answers questions like these in today's text. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Appold. Pastor Appold is the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. Good to be back on with you. So, Pastor Apple, as we get started today, give us some context here in the letter of 1 Thessalonians. Where have we been that Paul's leading up to the text we've got today? Sure. He's, uh, I think that he's, he's been kind of focusing in uh, on last things, what we might call the last things. Um, you know, as, as Christians, we live in the overlap of um, Christ's first coming and his second coming. Uh, so we're in between uh, the comings of Christ. And so we kind of have one foot in the old world and one foot in the new world, and that um, he's been giving some sort of ethical uh, admonition or exhortation to his to the the hearers here, and now he's really focusing on okay, what's going to happen at the end, uh, and and how does that knowing what's going to happen at the end, how does that help you live in uh, in that overlap where you know. You can just imagine the Thessalonians, uh, and we can think of our own congregations too. We have this incredible hope in Christ, but we don't know when he's coming back. And so our family members, our friends who have died, um, you know, it's a natural question. Where are they? What's going to happen to them? Um, You know, what if we don't make it? Like you said, what if we don't last until Jesus comes back? Does that mean that we're lost? Or, you know, how do we think about these things? And that's uh, that's what he's answering here. So the, the the connection then between the previous two texts, which seem very um, worldly, I guess you could say, and not worldly in the sense that they are of the world, but worldly in, in that they involve life in this world, the matter of chastity, avoiding sexual immorality, the matter of brotherly love uh, within the congregation. Now all of a sudden he's jumping to the last day. So So you're saying the connection then is that what the hope that we have is for the last day is influencing the life that we have right now. Is that kind of the move that he's making here? Yeah, I think so. And you're, um, and if you keep, you know, what you're going to do with uh, the next, the next um, episode show will be in chapter five, you get this great stuff about uh, we are children of the day, right? We'd um, I always think of it in terms of like what generate, you know, there's all kinds of what generation you belong to. Well, uh, as Christians, Uh, We're not really uh, firmly rooted in any generational categorization, right? Um, Whether you're a boomer or a Gen X or a millennial or whatever, the next generation is. um, Christians belong to the generation of the world to come. And so that that life of the world to come um, already kind of works its way back into our present life right now and calls for things like holiness, like chastity, like um, charity, brotherly love. And it also calls uh, here for hope, or it, it gives us a hope that the world uh, doesn't really know anything about. So this this text that we've got before us today, Pastor Apple, is one of the more well-known from the book of First Thessalonians, I would say, primarily due to its use at at Christian gravesides. This is the one that I default to when it comes to the the graveside service for a a saint in Christ. So I I think we've got plenty to talk about because we often don't get the chance to to dig into that text right right there when you're when you're doing the burial. So it's it's a good opportunity for us to look at this very well-known text and Mm -hmm. to see the full hope that is there for us. And and honestly when I was 
thinking about where to go during the season of Advent, and I stumbled, or not stumbled, I chose First and Second Thessalonians. This was one of those texts that I was really thinking of when it comes to Christ's return. It, it lays it out so well for us here. So this is going to be a, a great conversation, I know. So with that, let's take a look at the text. First Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's the text for today, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. Pastor Apple, probably the, the best place to start here is this term that Paul uses in that very first verse. He repeats it again in verse 15. He says he's talking about those who are asleep. What is he talking about there, and why is that important? Yeah, he's talking about their children who, you know, fell asleep on the car ride home. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's talking about um, Christians who have died. Uh, at least in in our understanding of death, and it's important. I I think that this is crucial for us um, to have a right understanding of what death is. Um, death is certainly not a popular concept um, to talk about, but it is something that everybody thinks about. Um, wouldn't you say? I mean, especially as pastors, you're you're preparing people to die well, um, and and you know that people live in view of death, or, and especially as they get closer to it, whether um, there's some kind of illness or just uh, advancing in years, everybody thinks about death um, for themselves and also for uh, their friends and relatives. So it's, it's great to actually see um, how, what, how does the Bible talk about death? How does God talk about what death is? And this, um, this, um, this term gets used for saints who have died um, quite often in the New Testament. They are asleep. Um, and so Paul is, is really, he's not like explaining anything about death. He just says it as if it's a given, doesn't he? Just says those who are asleep in Christ. Um, he's kind of appealing to the common, that they would have already been taught about what it means to be, uh, to be dead. Yeah, so this is a, this is not unique to Paul. Jesus uses this term as well. You could you could bring some of those passages out if you'd like, Pastor Apple. But I I think the the thing that we really need to think about is what is the point of comparison between the death of a Christian and sleep? Because there are some things that we want to make a comparison to, but I think there are some things when it comes to sleep that we might be going a bit too far if we if we try to push that comparison sure. too far. Yeah. So so take us into that. Yeah, well, I think a, a good example to see Jesus uh, talk about death this way um, is when he's healing uh, or when he raises uh, the little girl. I think it's Jairus's daughter. Um, I believe it's in Mark chapter 5 is the one that I'm most familiar with. And um, there's all these mourners in the house. And um, when Jesus goes in, he says, she's just asleep. And um, they kind of, the, the quote-unquote professional mourners um, kind of mock him for it or they deride him. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about, right? She's dead, um, as in she is, she cannot be helped any longer. And what you see then with Jesus uh, raising the dead is that no one is beyond his reach, right? He can, he can wake this little girl up just as easily as you or I could uh, rouse our kids from slumber, which, you know, may or may not require more effort uh, depending on them. But th if that's your understanding of death, that it means to be asleep, well, then it, it takes away something of the sting, right? Um, if we consider death apart from Christ, without any um, kind of hope in Christ, then it does feel very permanent, right? This, there is a separation that comes in death. I can no longer uh, talk with my loved one. I can no longer hear from them. But if they're just asleep, 
it's not permanent, right? And I think that that's, that's part of the, uh, the comfort that comes as a Christian. We don't consider death apart from Christ. We consider death as something that Christ has already uh, triumphed over and given us a promise that we too uh, will triumph over death uh, with him. So the, the point of comparison that we really want to emphasize here between the death of the Christian and the matter of being asleep is the fact that sleep is temporary. You go to sleep in the evening, and then in the morning you wake up. And so for the Christian, you go to sleep in Christ, you die in Christ, and then when he returns on the last day, you wake up. That's that's the point of comparison right. that we want to emphasize here. But yeah, should we? Well, go ahead. Go ahead. I would also uh, emphasize there's an inactivity involved there, right? I mean, sleepwalking is uh, is abnormal, right? So we're, we should think of de- death as a rest, right? The, those who are dead are at rest. They're no longer um, searching. They're no longer, um, yeah, they're not active any longer. They are at rest. Whatever, and that's true about everyone who dies, right? Whether you are a Christian or not. Um, death is, it, there's a finality to it there. Uh, but it's not absolutely final. That's what you're bringing up. Right. And and I think, so the matter of rest, I think, is important. But I, I think when we call death asleep as Christians and we say that those who have died in Christ are at rest or they're inactive, we're not saying that they're unaware of what's going on. or And we're also not saying that they're not doing anything either. Right? I mean, I, because I think elsewhere in Scripture we see that to be with Christ, to be at this rest, is to be free from the, the labor of striving against sin. But it doesn't mean that you're just sort of suspended in some sort of purgatory—I don't want to use the word purgatory, but that's the only word I'm coming <laughs> up—some sort of some sort of netherworld where you're just sort of sure. in some sort of non-existence or something like that, right? I mean, so we're at rest, but— we're still doing something. It's it's a, a bliss, a joy to be in the presence of Christ, right? Yeah, I think if, if when we're talking about being asleep, um, we certainly would say the body is asleep. The body is totally inactive, right? Uh, there's nobody's, you know, nobody's getting up out of the grave uh, in advance. The body is totally at rest. But what you're bringing out is the fact that um, we are more than just the material of our body, right? And so for the Christian, um, there is a continuation of, uh, in some way, of life even beyond the grave, right? And so even though my body is at rest, um, totally inactive, my soul is at rest with Christ or in Christ. And uh, this is where you have some of those visions of the the book of Revelation that are helpful um, to see that that rest doesn't just mean um, you know, my soul is not just kicked back in a lazy boy somewhere up in heaven, but that there is a, there is an enjoyment of Christ going on by my soul. However, you know, I, I, maybe wor- words don't really, can't quite capture what that is. Uh, we know that that is a reality. Right. It, it, it's challenging to talk about this simply because we as human beings are bodies and souls together. And death is the unnatural separation of those two things. And so it's just really challenging to, to talk about what is yeah. it like to be body and soul separate from one another. And, and I think, <laughs> right. I think that, that whatever we, what we say and what the scriptures give us is a matter of comfort, even in the midst of that which, which had been our enemy that Christ has defeated, as, as we'll see here and we see elsewhere in the scriptures. So, so yeah, the body is at rest and, and sleeping and not active, even while the soul is with Christ in joy and bliss. However, that, that works exactly. It is, a, it is a good thing. And yet, even with the body being inactive, still that body is, is under Christ's care. I, I think of the, the commendation that we, we speak at the graveside of a beloved Christian saint and, and how we, we commend that body to the Lord's care, even in the ground. So the, even as, as challenging it is to talk about death because of the way it's unnatural, still we have this this hope in Christ that surpasses anything else that we could have at that time. Yeah, and I, I think uh, that when you mention the word natural there, there's, again, um, there is the consideration of death apart from Christ, and in that case, it is this fearful, terrible thing. And um, 
then there is the consideration of death for those who know Jesus and who have hope, uh, who have faith in him. And for for them, um, death is still um, a pain. Death is still uh, uh, something to be to be grieved. But it's also, um, you know, it is the end of sufferings and the beginning of um, rest and bliss in Christ. Now, it's also it's not the end of rest and bliss in Christ because there's something that even comes after our life uh, as you know as souls in heaven. Um, we're we're not quite complete. We're waiting the day when our bodies will rise and rejoined together, um, body and soul, as we are meant to be. So take us more into that, then, the second half of verse 13. We've talked a lot about what it means that those who've died in Christ are asleep, that it is a temporary thing. Christ will raise our bodies on the last day. There's this matter of rest, no longer striving with sin. The body goes in the ground awaiting that resurrection, the soul goes to be with Christ in joy and and in peace and rest in paradise with him. And then Paul says he, he wants them, he wants them not to grieve like those who have no hope. And you've already started to address this, but I think we can say more. It's not that Christians don't grieve. Christians do grieve, but they grieve differently from others. What's what's Paul driving at here at the end of verse 13? Yeah, he's well. I think that the word hope is a perfect um, capturing of it. And if you think about, um, you know, let's let's do it this way first. Think about the the Thessalonian context, right? Who, what would these people have been before they became Christians? So back in chapter one, he said he um, will talk to them and say that God has delivered them from the um, the worship of vain, empty idols to the service of the true and living God and awaiting his son from heaven, Jesus Christ. So before they were Christians, they were probably, most of them were some sort of Greek um, pagan, okay? So they're worshiping um, the idols of, of Greece, which, what is the, what's the hope that you have if you're a, a devotee of Zeus or Apollo? Or I don't, I don't know what uh, Thessalonica was particularly interested in. Um, but if you're if that's your God, um, your hope is really pretty much limited to getting some good stuff in this life, right? You offer the sacrifices to keep the gods happy, and then the idea is they're going to, you know, help you have a good crop. They're going to bless your family in some kind of material fashion. Maybe you'll have success in uh, business or in love or whatever it might be, but there really is no hope for someone uh, who is, who thinks that that's all there is? There's no hope beyond the grave. Everybody down into Hades, and everybody stays there, except for what maybe like Hercules, but he's only one guy, right? Um, right? So there really is, there really is no eternal hope. There's only temporary kind of maybes. Maybe the maybe the gods will help us with this, that, or the other thing. But for Christians, right? Com- just compare our hope with that. Um, for Christians, there is not just hope for God to bless us in this life. Um, Paul, is it in First Corinthians where he says, if we have hope in this life only, then we are to be pitied above all. Right? But our hope is uh, an eternal thing, an eternal hope. And that changes the way then that we view um, even death, death even by our God. So what what is the consequence of living of grieving without that hope? We we've talked I mean we've already started to address a little bit how the hope that Christians have influences life right now. What does life without that hope look like? Sure. This sort of grief yeah, without question. hope. Yeah, we and you can see this. We don't even have to do like what would the ancient Greeks have done about it. Um you can see how people try to cope. I right? think of think in terms of coping mechanisms. How do you cope with something like death. Well, one way is to kind of say it's just part of life, right? It's just a, a brutal fact that we all have to get get used to, that we're all just going to die, right? And and that's kind of the, I don't know what you'd call that. That's just sort of, we've, it's just something we've got to accept. And the sooner you accept it, I'm just trying to think of how this kind of comes across in, in art and in movies, because we do hear this, this um, kind of talk or philosophy is I think quite prevalent in, around us. Um, just get used to it. Just accept it as part of life, and what make the most of the time that you have right now. 
Um, so that, that would be sort of just the blind acceptance of it, or, or I don't know if you have a better word for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. Almost like, and I'm not sure if this is exactly what you're getting at, and this may be related, but like the, um, my wife and I actually just watched the, the new, uh, Lion King that Disney came out with the, the more realistic looking animation of it. And so you got that, that circle of life. Is that kind of the idea that you're driving at that sort of thinking? Yeah. Well, even, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's even a little more hopeful than what I'm saying, because in, okay. in The Lion King, right, uh, Mufasa lives on through his son, right, through Simba, right? <laughs> um, what I'm saying is just, you, once you die, that's it. You're just buried, you're in the right. ground, there's nothing else. And so it's kind of, well, it would lead to um, either kind of just a, a little bit of despair, like, oh, man, life is so meaningless, there's, no, there's nothing more than just this moment that I have or this brief time that I have, or it might lead into um, just kind of um, eat, let us eat, sleep, and be merry for tomorrow we die, right? Um, that's the Epicurean thing. Um, and both of those things, I think you see that in the world around us. Apart from Christ, what hope does our world have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so what about then the the circle of life type thinking where the the hope in death there would be mm-hmm. not some kind of resurrection in Christ but I don't know if this is exactly it but sort of the the memories that I have the way that yeah. I honor that legacy that sort of thinking what yeah. what's left wanting if that's the hope that we try to cling to well i think uh, there's there's two things that are left wanting there what if um, what if I just didn't really contribute that much? You know, that, that's, that's maybe a comfort for a person who, was, who accomplished great things, right? But what if you led kind of a common life? Um, I mean, that, there's a, I think that there's something um, really despairing about that uh, because there's so few who lead these kind of heroic lives. Now, again, I think people will cope. They'll try to cope with, death in a lot of ways. And so they'll cover over that and say, well, but, you know, um, Uncle Joe really was a great guy. He was really nice to me. Um, that might be true, but is that all that we're going to remember Uncle Joe for? Um, the second thing is um, it's so impermanent, right? Um, can you name your, even think within your own family, um, unless you're doing genealogy, can you, who can name their great, great, grandfather. I mean, how many generations will will your memory endure? Um, it's going to be a very temporary, impermanent thing. Mm-hmm. So so that hope is, is left wanting. And then, too, I, I think, and I'm not sure, maybe this is related to, to some of the things you've already brought out, but I think also in our culture today, you see just a, a general avoidance of the topic of death altogether, even as you were mm-hmm. saying at the beginning, that death is always there. It's always in front of us. Sometimes the way we try to cope with it is by just pretending it's not. And and some of the ways that we sure. deal with death in the culture at large in terms of funeral homes and and not that not that that's bad, but we we often remove death as far from us as we can. But again, I, I think what the Christian hope has has something better to to offer us. What what's missing in, in that sort of thinking, Pastor yeah. Apple? Yeah, I think that there's um, so, so you, you bring out a, a good point. People want to avoid it, right? And, and there might be an, a number of reasons why people want to avoid death. But one of them would be is that it's too scary, right? It's too big. So you just avoid thinking about it at all. And you, and you want to avoid ever really seeing a dead person. I mean, who, want, who enjoys? I mean, even among pastors, it's not like it's the, there is a joy that comes with being at someone's um, you know, at someone's deathbed, a faithful Christian. But I would, I don't know. I've never met anybody who says that's what I really like about, <laughs> about the ministry. Um, it, it is an uncomfortable thing. Um, but I think if you, if we didn't have Christ, it would be too scary, right? It'd be too much to, to confront, but in Christ, um, you can actually look at death. You can see it and you can say, this does not this is not going to have the final say on my life, right? There is another chapter that's going to open up through death uh, to mm-hmm. eternal life. 
with just about a minute here before our break, Pastor Apple, then kind of wrap this up for us so that we, we have a good positive picture of what it means to grieve with hope as Christians. I think the, the wages of sin is death, and that is always going to be a part of the grief. Um, I can no longer see my loved one when they, he or she dies, right? There is this separation that comes. But as Christians, we believe that this person, uh, my loved one, is, is not separated from me forever. Right? This separation is temporary. He is asleep in Christ. And um, what we're going to hear in a couple verses is when Jesus comes, he's going to wake everybody up. It's going to be very loud on the last day, and everybody's going to wake back up. And what a day that will be. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Wednesday, December 11th. We are looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, with Pastor David Appold of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, prior to the break, we were looking at what Paul says about Christians who have died being as those who are asleep, those who await their Lord to wake them up in the resurrection. And this allows those who are still living— us Christians here on earth and the church on earth, we grieve with hope. And then Paul begins to give some grounds to that. And, and the grounds that he gives is that Jesus died and rose again. Why is that so important for the hope we have as Christians? Yeah, because that's the, um, that is the source of hope, right? Um, it's, if Paul just said, um, just be hopeful, have a positive outlook, <laughs> it's all going to be all right. You know, that you might, if you really trusted Paul, maybe that would help. But um, he grounds our hope and our trust in something beyond him, which, of course, is the good news that Jesus died and has conquered death, right? He's already passed through death. He has risen. And so um, the way that I think of it here, um, there might be different ways to think about why is the death and resurrection of Jesus, why does that give us hope? But I think here— what Paul is, is trying to help the Thessalonians to see is um, if Jesus has already conquered this, right, um, then it is, not, it is not going to separate us from him. Right? He's all, it's almost like he's already dealt with this enemy. Or you can think of it in terms of like an army, right? Death is this, this army that Christ has already conquered. He's given it the death blow. And so even though we, uh, when we face that enemy, you know, there might be a temporary kind of setback. The, the war is going to be won. And when Christ comes again, it's going to become evident. Uh, it's going to be manifestly clear that death does not have the final say. Death has not won the victory. Because Christ, Christ reigns even over death. That's, that's the point, yeah. is that he's established himself as king over all things. And so, I mean, I think the Yep. The parts of the creed, for example, I, I think probably the descent into hell would come into play, and definitely his ascension to the Father's right hand, that that he's ruling over all things, even death, even as as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that, that we await for that enemy to be put completely under his feet. So the, the yeah. key here in Jesus' death and resurrection is that he's established himself as king over everything, including death. Is that is that true? Yeah. I'm going to use a, a, you said Lion King, so you made me think of this earlier. Okay, so this, if this isn't uh, where you wanted to go, it's your fault. Uh, remember when, when uh, Mufasa tells Simba, everything the light touches is ours, mm. right? That's our wow. kingdom. So everything that Christ has passed through belongs to him. Um, and, and there is no part of, the, of creation that is outside of his 
reign and his rule. And that includes even uh, death and what happens to a person after death. Well, they're still under Christ's, um, Christ's power, Christ's reign. No one is beyond his ability to raise them from the dead. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so the Lion King, I, I could, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't play yeah, too th- far. I mean, the Lion no, that's King right. has its problems, but yeah. That's right. That's right. Yes, that's right. But there are, there are points of connection. I think that that's not a bad one. Everything the light touches. So everything that, well, and I think just with, with that first Peter three passage, where it does talk about the descent into hell, I do think that's the idea is that after you've got Christ going everywhere, proclaiming that he is King, and and yeah. Paul now is saying, look, he's king over the living and the dead. So this is going to give us hope for yeah, those who have died so in Christ. Right. It's like he, when he descends into hell, he says, this realm is uh, is under my is under my control too. Right. Mm. Um, and that's uh, you can see you can see that in the book of Revelation when he appears to John, uh, he says, I am he who died, and behold. I live forevermore, and I hold the keys yeah. to death and Hades, right? These are—he's um, he, the jail keeper, right? And he will um, bring, bring out those who belong to him. Right. So, so Paul's drawing on this to give the Thessalonians hope for those who have already died before, before the coming of the Lord, Paul, Paul brings out. That's the moment now that he's going to direct their attention towards in verse 15. What is this coming of the Lord that Paul's talking about in verse 15, Pastor Apple? Yeah, so the, uh, we're in the season of Advent right now, so you've got this, um, this great focus for us is not on his first coming, but on his second coming, um, right? The Christmas, yes, is going to remember the first coming of Christ, but uh, especially in the season of Advent, the themes and the hymns and the readings are really more focused on that second coming. Um, and there's lots of great contract comparisons and contrasts you can do. He came uh, before as a child um, to be the sacrifice for sins, and when he comes again, it's not going to be in weakness and humility anymore um, as a servant, but it's going to be as the universal Lord, the judge of all things. So he's going to come in power and with full authority. And so that's this, what we would call the second coming of the Lord. This is what, what Paul is talking to. What's, the, what's some of the background there that Paul's drawing on in terms of some of the, the Greek word that's used? Sure. Yeah, the, the Greek word is parousia, and uh, that I don't know if it's in any of our liturgy. It's, it may be a word that some of our listeners have heard before, um, this is one that pastors, even if they're not uh, great with the Greek language, they'll <laughs> they'll pull this one out and say, "Yeah, the parousia of Christ." Um, the parousia would have been a, a term that Greeks would have known um, when when their rulers would come, when kings would come and visit a city. That would be known as his parousia. He was visiting or he was coming, and there usually would have been there then a parade to meet, you know, whoever it is, whether it's the governor or whether it's the, you know, the emperor, whoever it might be, who's coming to visit you, everybody from the city goes out to meet, uh, to meet the, the ruler coming in, and then everybody comes in with the ruler into the city. And that's exactly what, um, what Paul is setting up here. There's going to be a big parade, uh, as it were, where everybody goes up to meet Jesus in the clouds and then comes down with him altogether. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those places in the scriptures where we get a really clear picture of what that day will be like. There's plenty of spots where there's more parable type language from Jesus when he describes this day, but this is one of those spots where it, it seems really just a sort of step by step walk mm-hmm. through what's going to happen at Jesus' second coming. So take us through that order of events that Paul gives us here in First Thessalonians four. Yeah. So. Um... First, the Lord is going to come. He's going to come down. Jesus is coming down. Um, and, yeah, I think the, the chronology here is helpful because sometimes it seems like everything is happening at once. And especially if you try to sort out, uh, if you compare passages that talk about, excuse me, Christ's second coming, um, you might run into some difficulty of, well, what's the, what's the chronological order? But this one, I think, is pretty step-by-step. Step. He's going to come down visibly, and then there's going to be some sort of a shout. And uh, it sounds like it's Jesus himself who is shouting with a cry of command. He's giving a command, and Paul doesn't say what the command is, 
uh, but maybe it's um, rise, right? Speaking, everyone rise up, come and come and meet me. And, uh, and so then he's going to keep coming. And I think the trajectory, we want to uh, make sure we understand he's, he's coming from heaven down to earth. And even though there's going to be a, a meeting of Christ in the clouds, that's really not the final destination. Right? He's going to come all the way down. Um, but he comes down, there's a shout, cry of command, and then uh, those who are dead will rise. And uh, here Paul has in view just the Christians, right? So we're not considering uh, those who died apart from Christ, but all who died in Christ will rush up, will be caught up, it says, into the clouds to meet Jesus, and then we'll always be with him. And that, isn't that a great way for him to end? Like, of all the things that you could say, um, you know, what, what will it be like? What will the, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth will be like? Paul just says, we will be with him always. We will always be with the Lord. And, and that's really what makes it the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth. This is the key feature, is that this is where we are with the Lord. We had this right. conversation, I don't know if you and I did, but but I know I had it with someone when we were talking about the book of Exodus and the tabernacle. This is the whole point of the tabernacle, is that this is where the Lord would dwell with his people. And Paul's yeah. drawing on that same idea here. And, and you're right, what a what a wonderful way to close that. Even as it's clear, there's still going to be some questions, and I think we're going to come to a few of those, but to end with that very clear teaching that the point of this is that whether you've died before the Lord's coming or you are alive when the Lord comes, you will be with the Lord. That's that's the point. That's the real comfort that you're going to have on that last day when Christ raises you from the dead. You're going to be with him. So so as you as you take us through this this trajectory here the lord's coming down there's the loud sound his own voice archangel trumpet of god the dead in christ rise first those who are alive they're all caught together in the clouds with the lord they keep mm -hmm. coming down paul now paul and maybe we can address this later too paul doesn't take the day any further than that there's more things that happen on this day that we know from other passages in scripture yeah. but the one one thing that does come up in this text that we probably should address at least in 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 a little bit or a little bit is this matter of being caught up together in the clouds and in Latin I believe it's the Latin translation of the New Testament the word that's used that comes into English as the word rapture and that word rapture gets associated with some really um, I'll just say bad <laughs> theology of the end times. Pastor Apple, can you give us just a, a brief summary of maybe what how that word gets misused and <laughs> sure. what what Paul does here? What what should we really understand when we think about what the rapture is in terms yeah. of what the Bible sure. lays out for us? Sure. Yeah. So if if um, if you're familiar with the rapture, it's probably uh, influenced by dispensationalist theology, right? That there's various dispensations of God's grace. That and through different at different points in time, God has saved His people in different ways, um, and so those those are called the various dispensations. Now, this I'll just say it again: this is not biblical, but um, that's the thought. Okay, and one of the dispensations is going to be, or part of one of the dispensations is there's going to be a rapture of of Christians, and what they mean by a rapture is kind of like what it says here: Christians will be taken up into heaven. So think like Enoch was uh, in the days before the flood. He, was, he walked with God, and then he was no more, right, because God took him. And so th that's kind of the idea. Or Elijah, right? Elijah is walking, walking, walking with Elisha, and then the chariots come down and lift him up in a whirlwind of fire, right? Um, so that sort of a rapture is what's popularly referred to as the rapture. Um, and it goes, it's part of this whole idea of um, what's going to happen in the end times. There's going to be this rapture, and then after that, there's an intense great tribulation, and there's kind of like a secret return of Jesus, and then the full public return of Jesus is later. Well, that's all um, kind of, what would you say, off the, off the rails. For, from here, if we actually look for that word in Scripture, we find it here, and what's the context? 
it's not talking about um, something prior to Christ's return. It's talking only about what happens at his return. So if I, we don't even really ever talk about a rapture, because here the rapture is you're lifted up so that you can come down even further with Jesus. Right. So, and, and the popular form of this dispensational theology that you've brought out would be the, the Left Behind series, the books, the movies. Yeah. That's going to be the, the popularized version that has disseminated its way out into sort of pop culture. That would be this sort of thinking of a secret rapture where Christians are taken away. And, and like you said, it's very convoluted and it, it's, it's false. We want to keep our hope grounded in what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 4, that all of these things are happening together with this final return of Christ on the last right. day. Now, and, as, and it's, I think that's really important then that you point out, we don't stay there in the clouds with Christ. We keep coming down. What's And that's where Paul stops the story, but that's not where the last day ends in terms of what Scripture describes for it. Going now to other parts of Scripture, Pastor Apple, what else is should we expect to happen on that last day? And how th does that add to the comfort that Paul's preaching here in 1 Thessalonians 4? Sure, sure. Well, um, he, he's not talking, he doesn't say anything about those who, um, those who did not believe in Jesus and what happens with them. So we know that they also will rise, right? There is going to be a universal resurrection. Every body will rise. And then we'll either be, um, this is like Matthew 25, right? The separation of the sheep and the goats. Some will depart into fire and others into, um, is it the joy of my father? Is that what it says in Matthew 25? I think that's how it goes. Um, so there will be a separation. Um, there will, in some fashion, there will be, and that will be the judgment, right? So when people talk about judgment day, um, Paul here is not, he's talking about judgment day, but there's no uh, mention of the books being opened think for that you have to go into the book of Revelation. Um, but um, your original question, I think, was what happens after this, right? When Once Jesus comes and he comes all the way down um, and we're no longer in the clouds anymore, what's going what's to happen? Well, um, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And again, you can look in at the very end, the last couple chapters of the Bible um, deal with what's, what, how are we to envision that and imagine that? Um, it's going to be awesome, right? There's going to be the tree of life, and there's always things um, in season on the tree of life, and there's the river of life. And, um, of course, the, the key thing, like we're, we're seeing here, is that the lamb will be in the midst of them, and he is going to be our temple, and he is going to be our son, and he is going to be kind of all in all, um, you know, there, it's interesting, isn't it, that the Bible ends in a vision. Uh, it ends with this this amazing uh, hope that that has to be in some way depicted for us to see. And I think that part of that is so that we actually desire it, so that we want that day, that we look forward to it with eagerness and with uh, and hope. And we're not just like, well, I don't know, it'll be you know, it'll be okay, it'll be decent. Yeah, no, it's not just okay. There's, uh, man, you could get me on pop culture here a little bit. Now, there's those, I don't know if you've seen these commercials, Pastor Apple, where, where there's a, the doctor who comes in and, or, or the nurse comes in and, and says to the patient, or the patient asks, how's this doctor? And, and she says, well, he's okay. <laughs> no, yeah, there you no go. That, right. that's not, yeah, that's not exactly what it's going to be mean. like. Yeah, yeah, it's not, that's not what it's, it's not just okay. This is the best thing that you can imagine. And, and even better than that. And, and as you're, you're talking about, you know, it's, it's a vision. And here you've got the talk of the clouds. And I think the, the thing about clouds is that, at least in our thinking as American Christians, sometimes we, we think of clouds in a very spiritual sense. But these are real things that we're talking about, real physical things. We're talking about the resurrection of the body. And the, the vision that's there in, at the end of Revelation, although it is a vision, yet these are real physical things that we're talking about. This is, I mean, you, you might say it's, it's more real than what we even know now, which yeah, is see, just, uh, you, uh, go ahead. You sound like that's the C.S. Lewis uh, insight that's key, right? And, you know, Lewis had some kind of strange things about um, the end and judgment, but 
I think that one of the things he gets right really, really well is um, is that it's it's better, it's more firm, right? It, the ground in the new creation is going to be more firm than even the ground that we have right now, and the light of the new creation is going to be in some way brighter and warmer and better. Everything will be better because it will be perfect. It will be without sin. There will be no um, no flaw, no defect. So with this put together then, with, with Paul, he takes us through verse 17, we are with the Lord always. Then he concludes, therefore encourage one another with these words. And this is taking us back to where we started. So we've got a good seven minutes here to, to talk about it, Pastor Appold. How does this hope, this very real hope of what we have on the last day with Christ's return, the resurrection of the body, all of us as Christians being together with the Lord, how does this impact us as Christians right now in our everyday lives? Yeah, so uh, this is a great, great verse because the point of doctrine, uh, of all doctrine, is to actually be applied and to be, uh, and to hear is to give a very specific kind of hope, right? So Paul doesn't say, um, you know, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, just so that you can be doctrinally correct, you know, it's not a matter, doctrine is never a matter of just having the right answers, you know, as if we were interested in, you know, being like Jeopardy champions or trivia champions. Um, the, the purpose of pure doctrine and good doctrine is because it actually delivers Christ to his people. Um, so if you, if you mess up, um, you know, the doctrine of Christ's return, what ends up happening is you're robbed of the comfort that you should have. You're robbed of the joy and the hope that Christ wants his people to have. And that's why we take, um, I, I think this is a great point to make, because sometimes it may seem that we're only interested in good doctrine and, and true doctrine for the sake of like winning an argument, right? Um, that's really, I might like to win arguments. I don't know about you. I kind of like winning <laughs> arguments that feels good. But the real thing is that people would actually ha know the comfort of having a hope that abides and endures uh, even beyond the grave. And so that's why mm -hmm. Paul ends up here saying, this is meant to be spoken out loud. This is meant to be, um, to be sung about, right? This is because there are some things uh, that you can say, but sometimes you just you have to be able to sing about these things. It, the, the reality is so great. Um, that just talking about it is almost not enough, right? Um, so in another place, he'll say, encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Well, hey, we've got some great hymns about the resurrection in our hymnal, don't we? Mm, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Oh, man, we could get going on that, Pastor Apple. You know, I mean, we, we've been talking about gravesides and and the the deathbed of, of beloved Christian saints, and, and one of the, the verses that many Christian pastors say or sing at the deathbed of a, of a Christian saint is the, the last verse of, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. Right. Uh, Lord, sure. let at last thine angels come to Abram's bosom, bear me home that I may die unfearing, and in its narrow chamber keep my body safe in peaceful sleep until thy reappearing, and then from death awaken me, that these mine eyes with joy may see, O Son of God, thy glorious face, my Savior, and my fount of grace. Lord Jesus Christ, my prayer attend, my prayer attend, and I will praise thee without end. I mean, that that's that's a perfect example, that hymn yeah. verse. It's Lutheran, Lutheran Service Book 708, if you want to look it up. Yeah, verse look it three. Up. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, the whole hymn is great, but I mean, that that verse alone is just so fantastic. And, it, and it's a perfect example of what you're saying, that that pure doctrine, we don't, we don't have, we don't strive for pure doctrine for pure doctrine's sake so that we're right. We, we strive for pure doctrine so that we can write hymn verses and sing hymn verses just like that. So that on our deathbed, whether we're the one who's dying or we're, we're next to a loved one who's dying in Christ, we have that real comfort, that real hope in Christ. False doctrine robs us of that. Pure doctrine gives us a hymn verse just like that, and, and I'm sure we could we could list many others. But that's that's why, so that these words would encourage us in Christ. Pastor Apple, we got about three minutes here left on the morning. You can respond to that if you want to go through more hymn verses that give that comfort. Feel free to do so, or just <laughs> no. summarize the morning for us. 
How, yeah. However you'd like to, would, to close it out for us. Yeah. Time, time would not allow, would it? Um, and that's what, <laughs> that's what's really amazing here is that um, I, I actually, I like that Paul, um, he's, even though here you get, like we were saying, this um, almost a chronological blow by blow by blow account, right? First this, then this, then this, then this. Um, he is also at the same time, he's, he's abbreviating it. And the brevity uh, is, is really kind of stunning. So we will always be with the Lord. Like you, you want him to keep talking, but there's something when he reserves going on and on, right? He says uh, in another place about how he had gone up into the third heaven and received these visions. And you're like, oh, great, he's going to tell us. And then he's like, but human language doesn't allow me to actually say what the vision was. It's almost like that, isn't it? Like, um, there's so much that could be said about being with the Lord, but it's, we don't, we'll get there eventually, right? It's enough for now that we have this promise. We will be with the Lord always. And uh, the beauty here is that when we get to heaven uh, and when we're raised, that's really what's in view, isn't it? Um, Sometimes it's interesting. We slip into heaven without the resurrection. Heaven is great, but it's not the end, right? This is the end. Um, We will always be with the Lord and it's never going to become dull. It's never going to become like, you know, Oh, just another day with Jesus. <laughs> uh, it will always be uh, eternally exciting and thrilling, and that's—I mean—that's our hope, and that's why—that's why Advent is so great, isn't it, Tim? I mean, uh-huh. we're getting ready for not just the remembrance of the past, but of a future that is—that is beyond compare. Yeah, so many of the Advent hymns bring out not just that it's not just pre-Christmas sort of baby shower for Jesus, yep. but but yep. Christ is coming back, and and oh yeah, we could go into the hymns of Advent too and see that that theme. But but I think we we really dug into this text, First Thessalonians four verses thirteen through eighteen, with Pastor David Appelt of Saint Paul Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appelt, thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Our Lord Jesus Christ is coming back, and this gives us great hope, that we would not grieve as those who have no hope, as those who have nothing to look forward to. Rather, we have everything to look forward to, life in Christ, raised from the dead, body and soul, together with Him. We will always be with the Lord. That is what we have as Christians, a hope that is above all others. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.